the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Well, welcome back as we head into Hour 2. Delighted to bring you on Brandon Weikert. We usually have him on on Mondays, but uh, we had a scheduling conflict, and I shouldn't attribute we to him. I think I had a scheduling conflict last week, last Monday. The royal we. Yes, the royal we. You know who said, do you know the Mark Twain line and the use of the word we, Brandon? Uh, I should as a writer, but I, I don't know it off the top no, of my Yeah, head. no, as a writer, this will, this will come in handy on a going forward basis, as they say. He yeah. said the only, the only people that should use the word we are royalty, newspaper editors, and, pe- uh-huh. and people with tapeworm. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. You can, also say, you can also say politicians who are kind of like tapeworms. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> that voice is Brandon Weikertz. Let me give you an appropriate introduction. Author of several books, including Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. I wanted to try and get you in if I could this week, though, Brandon, because Absolutely. yeah, the times require you. And uh, given the holidays, we'll miss Monday for something more important. Um, and uh, I just needed to hear your voice and wisdom. So thank you for doing this on a Friday. Well, I appreciate that. Happy to do it. Happy to do it. Thank you. Um, okay. There's a lot going on, and a lot is unwinding. I, I, I'm reminded of a book Daniel Moynihan wrote circa 1994 called Pandemonium, warning about the world falling apart into Pandemonium, given a lot of different ethnic stresses. Holy cow, brother. I was reading with some friends here the uh, something you and I didn't talk about, but this America's Strategic Posture Report that came out in October, and it was co-chaired by John Kyle. He was the vice chair. Yeah. And yeah. It, yeah, you're familiar. And this line in the executive summary should be haunting. I'm not sure why it didn't get more attention. My thesis is October 7th crowded it out. It came out around yeah. that time. And also the people involved in it just weren't of the same caliber as the last one. But in right. any event, this line, the threats America faces and its strategic and planned capabilities to address those threats requires this comprehensive year-long review. The evidence demonstrates that the U.S.-led international order and the values it upholds are at risk from the Chinese and Russian authoritarian regimes. The risk of military conflict with those major powers has grown and carries the potential for nuclear war. Holy cow, Brandon. Holy cow. Now, I know this isn't news to you. This is what you've been talking about for several years now. (laughs) But yeah. but how can the rest of the country seemingly and the rest of the benighted at sixteen hundred Pennsylvania and Foggy Bottom seem to be so casual about all this? Or is it overstated? Well, no, it's not overstated. If anything, it's understated. Okay. As as you rightly point out, for the last few years on your show alone, I've been sounding this alarm. It's nice that they finally caught up to me. All the beautiful, well-paid people. Um, but you know, you're beautiful, here we Brandon. Are. You're beautiful. You may not be well paid, but you're beautiful. <laughs> I can't. Uh, but here we are. You know, three years too late, 
with the wrong president in charge. Yeah. And um, I was just having a conversation earlier this morning, in fact, in which I had said, you know, how much of this is the result of just bad leadership? Yeah. You mentioned uh, that it wasn't the people involved weren't at the same caliber that they have been in the past. And I say, yes, of course, our entire national leadership kind of elite have been declining for several years, and what's coming up to replace them is not that impressive. And, uh, you know, th- this report is sort of on the tail end of what has been a really bad trend, which is we are speeding rapidly. We are speeding rapidly toward a third world war scenario. And um, it's a lot like Europe on the eve of First World War. We have all the wrong leaders who don't know how to pull us back and keep us strong and safe. You know, you're opening up an interesting intellectual point that hadn't occurred to me. Let me take a half a minute to try and unwind it for your analysis. For many years, a lot of us have been decrying the state of academia and that there aren't teachers like our teachers anymore. There aren't teachers like our teachers' teachers anymore. That kind of scholarship has just come and gone, and it's become a scholarship and an academy of people like President Gay at Harvard, kind of second-rate wits at best. And, you know, this is a problem, obviously, for the humanities. It's a problem, obviously, for the appreciation of Western ideals. Yeah, and it's systemic. And when you get this reduced, lower and lower reduced um, scholarship and ability to be smart and intellectual and deep and thoughtful— I haven't thought of it the way you cast it or pitched it, which is now apply that to the international order. Okay, so it's something that no one can understand or recognize Shakespeare, the Declaration of Independence anymore. But what about the fact that they don't understand the nuclear desires and capabilities of enemies like Russia, Iran, and China? That's that's the threat, it seems to me. Right. That we and in suffer. some cases, in the case of Iran, yeah. they actually invite them to the nuclear yeah, table. Right. They actually think these guys are fine. It's 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 insane to me. It's it is a lot like that old parable uh, of, of the the scorpion that rides the back of the uh, the fox across the river, and the fox thinks he can carry him because the scorpion says you can trust me. And then midway through the river, the scorpion stings. The fox and the fox says, now you killed us both because well, I'm going to drown and you'll drown too. And the scorpion says, it's in my nature. I can't help myself. That's, that's what the uh, Democrats and the elite are doing with Iran. So it isn't just a question of ignorance, which, of course, there's abundance of that. It's a question of willful uh, blindness, to use Andy McCarthy's term when describing uh, our response to al-Qaeda in the 90s. We'll scale that up. For all of these threats, there's a willful blindness, and, you know, it's going to get us all killed, unfortunately. Uh, Brandon, um, is it reversible? Uh, I think a lot of it is reversible to a point. I think we can mitigate it, but this has been my kind of my my drumbeat for the last several months. Um, It's going to require new leadership, Um, the kind that Donald Trump is saying he'll provide. Now, you know, I've been critical of Mr. Trump because I, you know, said that he didn't really achieve what he set out to do. But he seems to be the one that the people of the Republican Party want as their nominee. Who am I to get in the middle of that? And if he is who they want, I will support him. And I will hope and pray that he can achieve his ambition of, you know, ending the, the deep state. Because the problem is 
within our bureaucracy. That's the thing that keeps stopping the goodness from getting through. And that's a Washington, D.C. problem. And, you know, it's going to require a complete top-down repair. But we have a longer-term problem set. This is what I was saying earlier about it being systemic. When we look at our education system, K-12, through college, all of it, it's not just one or the other. It is um, a national security threat, our education yeah. policy, or lack thereof. Yeah, it's kind of, yeah that's a great point. And I want to underscore it, and I want to spend a moment on it further, because... You know, we get used to hearing DOD secretaries saying things like our national debt is a national security threat. And of course, to a degree, all of this is true. But no one is saying what you just said. Our education system is a national security threat. Right. That is, is eminently I think, true. I, I think the, what people like Christopher Rufo do, um, they don't may not even realize it themselves. But what they're doing is actually addressing a national security problem yes. as much as an educational and cultural good, problem. Good. And this is what I have been trying to do for many years. Um, and uh, if you want to ensure long-term prosperity and success for this country and security, Seth, you're going to go in and drain the education swamp, not just K-12, through but at the collegiate level as well, because that's where the rot is really, really hitting us. And you look, you go, go to your local Starbucks or, or McDonald's and see the young people working there. They're incompetent. They can't do anything right. So we've got to start really reorienting our education system. That should be the number one priority of all policymakers, whether they be national security experts or domestic policy people, because it's all going to translate to very bad returns in the next 20 years with this generation if we don't get it right. You wonder how that's going to happen and how we can help effectuate it. I, my own sense is that something short of dragging all the conservative thinkers or at least well-educated thinkers out of the think tanks in Washington and New York and Boy, putting them in great. the university. You know, that's where they fled to, and that's where the brain yeah. drain. Let me take a quick commercial break and pick up on that with you when we come right back. Brandon Weikert is my guest. You can follow him on Twitter, X, a.k.a. Twix, at we the Brandon Brandon Weichert, W-E-I-C-H-E-R-T, and I'll be right back. Welcome back to The Seth Liebson Show. Brandon Weichert is my guest, author, strategic uh, scholar, and uh, consultant, and, um, and uh, regular guest on our show on Mondays. We just couldn't do him this past Monday, so we're catching up with him today. You were making a great point earlier about... Um, the brain drain manifesting itself to the point of a national security threat, Brandon. And I, the reversibility of that, you know, it's interesting. It's, possi it's possible that the most impervious places to change claim to be the most liberal places or at least yeah. the most open places in the world, which is the American University. I, I, I think it's possible to overhaul the State Department faster than it is Harvard. But yeah. we're going to need – you agree? Yeah. So, I, But we're going to need to have someone do some kind of wake-up. I guess after Sputnik um, – uh, who was the uh, who I'm blanking us uh, blanking Rickover, Admiral Rickover yeah. went on the um, meet, on Meet the Press and said we have a math and science crisis in America and this yeah. is the result of it and we geared everything towards math and yeah. science and we overhauled our math. Someone needs I don't know who that person is today, but someone needs to well, do something like that right now. The problem is you're you're less likely to find the kinds of reformers from the professional exactly. educators. Exactly. 
you're going to have to find people who are doing education as a second or third career. And that's a big problem because the educational sector, and I'm not even, you, you I mean, I understand you're talking about, you know, the collegiate level, which is obviously yes, a mess, sure. but I'm more concerned, honestly, about the K through 12. Yeah, I am too. Um, I am. And, I'm with and you. honestly, Honestly, you know, I, I did at one time teach at, at pretty much every level, including the high school level, and I can tell you I have seen, Seth, uh, the deterioration, and this was years ago, I've seen the, uh, the deterioration of the, the quality and caliber, not just of the student, but of the teachers. Yep. The teachers that were the better teachers were the ones who were doing it as a retirement gig from an original career they had done. So, and the reason is because the educational system doesn't pay enough, and then it, it, it brings in the wrong kind of people who have an agenda that is not simply to educate our young people and to make competent leaders for the next generation. It's to indoctrinate them. And so we have to completely break down the entire system. One of the worst things that the Republicans did, and I love Reagan, but I blame him for this, was this idea that we need to just abolish the Department of Education rather, rather than sit back and figure out what will work and what won't work, because you're not going to get rid of the Department of Education anytime soon. So what we should be doing is encouraging young conservatives, don't go to finance, don't go to business, don't go to commerce, go to education. Take over the educational system over the next generation. It's going to take more than a four- or eight-year election cycle. We're going to need a generational plan. And I don't see any think tank or any conservative thinker other than myself proposing this because everybody wants immediate and instantaneous results and that's why we're in the mess we're in right now let me postulate an even further problem that deepens the difficulty of redress and that is in the 50s in the 60s from rickover forward since post-world war forward post-world war ii forward up until about maybe 15 years ago, liberal, Democrat, conservative, Republican, at least we understood what the enemy was. At least we had a generalized sense that communism was a, a threat to the West. We now have an education system that does not believe that, Brandon. That's what makes this problem so much more perdurable to deal with. We have an educational system, Seth, that celebrates Correct. communism. Correct. That celebrate, and if they had been around in positions of power during the Cold War, they would have been urging us to befriend. Correct. Correct. They're, 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 you know. So you're right. This is a, um, you know, this is a nightmare because we. Now it was an extreme. Them. It was an extreme position for a Democrat in the 1970s yeah. to support the nuclear freeze. That was extreme yeah. to the Democratic well, Joe Party. Biden, Joe Biden supported. Yeah, it. though he was part of that. Yes, but yeah. it was an extreme yeah. outlier in the Democratic Party. I, you had maybe yes. four now, senators. Now it's the norm. Now, 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 not only know, is it the norm, they embrace Chinese communism. Well, and they embrace Hamas. Right. I mean, they are openly celebrating. What the the Hamas Nazis did uh, on October seventh, and they're doing everything they can to force Israel to stop its uh, the, the terrorists who perpetrated that horrible attack. Uh, tells you, and that's the norm now. It's so bad for the Democrats. They're worried about losing key Jewish votes because they're having to placate the the Muslim American vote because they want to keep them. And so this is a this is a very very bizarre sort of transition period for this country, Seth. And I, I the Democratic Party is in disarray, um, and yet they keep being able to press ahead 
with their vile agenda because the Republicans can't get their heads out of their rear ends. Here's a um, perfectly good illustration uh, to the point that I vacillate on a little bit which is what explains the Democrats doing what they do. And the answer often I get back that I vacillate on is, well, they're just they're just interested in power. Here's 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 the sharp. Well, well, here's the sharp relief example of that. Right after you, you just put your finger on it right after October 7th, the natural inclination from the chief spokesman on the Democratic Party, including Joe Biden, was the absolutely normal reaction full of common sense. We have a clear example of good and bad. Right. Couldn't be more uh, evidenced than what happened on 9-11. And you know what? Over time, and not a yep. lot of time, a month or so, it changed. Yep. Why did it change? Political considerations. That's domestic right. political right. considerations. That's right. That's right. And, you know, it's funny because and this is maybe a side observation, but they accuse the Republicans of abandoning their values to comport closer with what Trump wants. Yeah. But they're doing the exact same thing, only they're doing it not with a political candidate. They're doing it with terrorists, like honest to God terrorists who brutally murdered and massacred women and children with wanton abandon. They have promised to do it again. And there are the Democrats. You're right. They went from having an initial reaction that I think most people had, which is this is terrible, to, well, it's not that bad. It's, we have to contextualize it. I mean, could you imagine after 9-11? We have to contextualize it, and we have to have Israel right. hold back. By the way, really good question was posed to someone on, uh, maybe it was the Piers Morgan show, I think, um, about someone who was uh, bloviating about Israel uh, needing to pull back, but still not supportive of Hamas. Piers asked a hell of a great question, and this guy came up empty-handed, as almost anyone would, to this question, which is, well, if you say you want to get rid of Hamas, please, dear sir, tell me how you would tell Israel to fight this war differently. I have to take a break. Can we address that yeah. when we come right back? I happily will. Thank you. Brandon Weikert is my guest. He is the author of several books, including Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, and Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life. He and I will be right back. Just for this song alone, we have to extend how long we play Christmas music, young David. Brandon Weikert is my guest. You can follow him on Twitter at we, the Brandon fabulous piccolo trumpet there. So, Brandon... Um, yes. There's a two-pronged discussion with people who um, oppose, uh, I guess, decency and civilization in Israel. And the two-pronged uh, two effort here is, one, if you can get them to denounce Hamas, okay. And half the same people probably can do that. But then once they do and they start saying, but now Israel is engaged in Hamas or genocidal tactics, the question comes up, well, how would you fight this war? And they have no answer other than, yeah, go ahead. You take it. No, no, I'm sorry. I no, 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 no. You go. You go. That's uh, <laughs> go because ahead. because ninety nine point nine 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 percent of these people making those claims are disingenuous. Okay. They really just want Israel to not do anything. 
They really just want Israel to throw down their arms and just take it because they're Jews and, you know, they don't deserve the same rights that you and I do to self-defense. I think it's very telling that the Biden administration, supposedly, I've yet to hear confirmation on this, so just be advised with this story. But I have heard for the last several weeks that the arms that we are providing, the U.S. government is providing uh, the Israeli government, they have attached a, a requirement that those small arms not be distributed to Israeli citizens, civilians, to be used for self-defense, that they are to be only used by the military because of the Biden administration's obsession with not only anti-gun laws, but also, I, I think, because the, the Biden administration is run by a bunch of virulent anti-Semites. I mean, you look at what they're doing. No other country would be required within 48 hours of the October 7th attack. Biden was, yes, expressing condolences, but at the same time, he was saying, don't make our mistake. Don't do what we did after 9-11. And that has only continued with greater loudness across the Democratic Party and the wider global left. Uh, in the last two months. And so, in my opinion, when people make these arguments that you're saying were made on the Piers Morgan show by this guest, um, I think that the real answer that they won't ever give, because they know how bad it would make them look, is that they don't want Israel to do anything. No, I think you're right. I I totally think you're right. And now that I'm thinking it through, I remember it was a dialogue between, um, or a debate between... um, I'm not sure if you're familiar with Sank Was Unger. it Douglas Murray and Shank Oyster? That's the one. Yeah, that, I, I just saw that. That's the yeah, one. I watched it, yeah. And, yeah. and, and Douglas had... Well, and Douglas Murray dismantled him. Yes, I mean, Douglas took the jugular away from him by yeah. out of his throat well, by saying, have. you know, okay. Um, and, yeah, anyway, we... we, we, we I, can, mean, I mean, Seth, I want to repeat what I've been saying please. because I've been, called an, I've been called an ethnic cleanser. Yeah. I've been told I will never find another job again because of what I've been posting. But I just, I don't care. I'm going to make it very clear. If it had been me as Prime Minister of Israel, I wouldn't have sent a single ground force into Gaza. I would have cordoned off Gaza, and I would have launched the mother of all air wars against that Gaza Strip until there was nothing left standing. And then I would have been channeling all of the the inevitable refugee flows out of that region into the Sinai and tell the Egyptians, tag, you're it, and they're not coming back in. That's what I would have done. Brandon, ninety percent of the countries, ninety percent of the countries in the world would have done that if this had happened to them. I and mean, the Russians. You think the Russians would have been right. You know, kind right. about this. Right. You think that you think the Ukrainians? Right. The Ukrainians would have allowed this. No. I mean, come on. No. You know? And I think ninety percent of Americans. No, that's wrong. But a strong number of Americans probably were thinking that on October eighth and October ninth, they were saying, "Turn it into a parking lot." That's right. I That's don't right, you know. know. Well, okay. Let me let me let me postulate this with you, because yeah. this is where we're at. Yasser Arafat goes to the United Nations in 1974, and and says uh, whatever it is Arafat says and fulminates about in 1974, and the whole. American establishment, media, population understands we're watching a thug speak at the United Nations. We are watching a terrorist thug corrupt the very territory of Turtle Bay by his very presence. Over the period since he's done that, two things have happened. He has somehow created a movement. He somehow created a movement in Fatah and the PLO that is now deemed the moderate party 
in the Middle East. And Hamas, which was seen as the extremist, is now getting the countenance and nod from the just as if they have a legitimate claim. Now, this was a short segment. Let's pick up on that when we come right back, because what we're watching here, it seems to me, Brandon, what we're watching here is a complete misunderstanding of normal and normative civil societal structure and and country building, civilization building. This is not how you do it. And not only that, not only that, but the Palestinian Poles all support Hamas in the West Bank. To put the quit to put yeah you like that right it makes you want to whistle to put the, to put Brand, Brandon Weikert is our guest to put the question succinctly or the point succinctly for those purblind dunderheads that keep saying the way out of this is a two state solution um, it's important to point out that the most recent polling in the West Bank shows seventy two percent support for Hamas if they were to hold an election in the West Bank where the Palestinian Authority and Fatah and Mahmoud Abbas right now reign. How do you have a two state solution with the very entity that is trying to destroy you? It's an impossibility. Well, you, it's a logical you can't. fallacy. Yeah, you yeah, you can't. And and, and I think everybody fundamentally knows that deep down. But the left is going to carry water because for, for the Hamas types, because they hate Israel, partly because I think of the, there's probably a large strain of anti-Semitism, but I've said this before, Israel is the, the, uh, the apotheosis of everything the global left hates. Israel is a country, it is a national country, it is a nation state, it has strong borders for the most part that they routinely enforce, you know where Israel is, you know what it means, it has a large a uh, democracy that is thriving. It has a large capitalist society that is prosperous. These are all the things that the global left hates, and Israel embodies them all. So they're always going to side against Israel because of its success. They hate it because of its success, because they don't need the global left to be successful in Israel. And they are a symbol for those of us in the West looking for an alternative to the global Marxist left. That is, the, that is what I want in America. I want what Israel has in America. And so I want a strong nation state. And, and they don't like that, the global left, which is why they side with Hamas and these degenerate movements uh, that are merely interested in genocide. The two-state solution is wholly unworkable, especially now. There should be a three-state solution. Basically, we need to kick everybody. Well, actually, it wouldn't even be what the three-state solution says. I think that we should just basically kick all the Palestinian Arabs out of the lands near Israel and send them back, repatriate them back to Egypt and uh, Syria and Lebanon and, uh, you know, wherever there are Arab Muslims living nearby that are co-religionists. Israel should not be made to, to give up land anymore uh, to people who, no matter what, want to kill them in the most gruesome and awful ways. Brandon, is there a... Um is there a point to this? There's a lot of reasons and explanations and theses that attempt to explain the um, emotion and position of anti-Semitism. Some of it is resentment towards a people that has, despite a lot of odds and despite being tiny, done well, generally, over overwhelmingly mm-hmm. positive uh, contributions uh, to in 
enriching and wealthening the societies they live in and their own families under a lot of odds. There are resentments about that. Some of that explains certain anti-Semitism, particularly amongst other minority communities. Is that animating somewhat also with regard to Israel? You have the surrounding massive majoritarian peoples that just can't get done what Israel got done. Right. I mean, Thomas Sowell wrote a whole book about this decades ago, in which he proved, in my opinion, he proved that certain cultures are just better at being successful than others, and the Jewish culture, through adversity and centuries of persecution, have proven that they can make anything work anywhere, including in a land like Israel, where there's no real natural resources, and they've been able to outstrip their Muslim neighbors who have all the oil in the world. And by the way, I just want to say, and I don't mean to make your audience uncomfortable, I am a believer in crime, I'm a Christian, and I do believe that you know the Israelis, the Jews, are the chosen people, and I think a lot of the reaction... My colleague Michael Walsh refers to the left as the satanic left, and I think that's a very apt title because I do believe there is some spiritual component to this. The Israelis are the chosen people. We know this going back you know, to the Torah, going back to the Bible, obviously. There is, I believe, some spiritual reaction going on. People on the left, notably on the left, who hate Israel, it's partly because also their lack of faith. And I think that that plays into it very well. I think that they hate Israel, not just for all the reasons we talked about, but also because of this spiritual animus that goes back to, you know, the, the, you know, the, the, the Bible. Uh, and so that's just my personal opinion. But I do think there is this bizarre, irrational hatred of Israel from the left that only a spiritual explanation can provide, I think, any logical justification for, because it doesn't make sense on paper why they would hate Israel so much to the point that they're willing to side with Hamas. It's insane to me. Well, you make an interesting point that's way beyond my ability to um, assimilate. But if you were to change it just a little bit, as not between Christian views of Jews or Israel, but Muslim view of Jews in Israel. It is right there, the way they try and change the city's names, the way they try and change the Jewish and biblical um, historic names of the entire place, including calling it Palestine. But, I mean, even as simple as something like on the West Bank, you see in the paper the Arab city of Nablus. It is not— an Arabic name now, Blues. It was right. anyone who reads the Bible knows it was Shechem, and Shechem, the, right. and the Romans when they came in named it Napolis after Naples, yes. and because of yes. the Arab dialectic, Napolis yes. became Nablus. That's how you get yes. the Arab city. As Absolutely. one once said, maybe Israel should give it back to the Italians. Yeah, maybe they should. <laughs> but you know, I mean, this is very important. Is this is a, there is a spiritual component that yeah. nobody likes to talk about. Whether we're talking about the unbelievers on the left who view Israel as this, you know, this horrible colonizer, whatever, or yes, the obvious, the Muslim versus Jew and Christian area. But we have to talk about that when we talk about this region, which is what gets me in a lot of trouble. But if you really want to understand the tensions and the geopolitical situation, why, for instance, Iran operates the way it does, yeah. there's all 
also a very serious religious component. Yep. And we in the United States just don't like talking about that, <laughs> totally especially true. outside of our places of worship. Totally true. We, we are uncomfortable talking deep ideology, and we are uncomfortable talking deep religion. But the truth of the matter is, if you are going to save the West or the United States, its enemies are ideological and theocratic. Exactly. Exactly. Islamo-fascists. That's what uh, they called it back in the day, and I still think that's an apt description. I think it is, too. I first heard it from Christopher Hitchens, I think. But what was interesting to me about that is when the Obama administration came in, they changed it to religious extremism to help— Yes, of course. Right, —to lay down the very point— your articulation. Well, to go after right wingers. Right. To go after right wingers. Exactly right. right because was, yeah, then they called yeah. us extremists when the campaign. That's, right. co- that's exactly right. And Christian nationalists. Yes. Yes. You know. Yes. 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 Uh, yeah. It's it's a horrible thing right now. What the Democrats are doing. It's, ta- it's really awful. Let me take one last break. We have a short segment yeah. coming up, and I'll ask sure. you to tell us what we should be on the lookout for the new year. I think I have an idea, um, but I would love to get your. Um, your warnings as much as predictions for the upcoming year when we come right back. Brandon Weikert and I will be right back. Brandon Weikert has been our guest this hour. Uh, Brandon, thanks for doing this. And I'm going to try and work you in one more time before the new year. We'll figure out an appropriate date. It won't obviously be our usual Monday. But um, if we don't, what should we be on the lookout for? What, What should we be thinking about for the new year? When it comes to your uh, areas the, of expertise. Well, my next book is on the truth behind the Ukraine war. Uh, Ukraine's going to lose this thing. It's a question of how badly. Um, so I'd be watching out for renewed Russian offensives to hold the east and the Crimean Peninsula. They may actually, they may actually this time push into Kiev in the next six months. Uh, I would look out for very soon Venezuela's uh, invasion of neighboring Guyana, and the destabilization that's going to cause for our border. It's going to be a nightmare. I would look out for that that much-concerned uh, northern front against Israel from Lebanon by Hezbollah. I'd watch that. for uh, That one's going to open up soon. North Korea just popped off another uh, ICBM. Uh, that, in the next six months, is going to become a very severe crisis. And I think probably April, maybe of next year, as early as April, you will see a possible invasion or blockade of Taiwan by China. All, all obviously exceedingly serious. Any number one, any one of those exceedingly serious. You put it together, and it's unfathomable. But you know, there's another one that I wanted to flag and just get your sense of if I'm right to do so, and that's China and space. Yes. Yes. Um, they are last week, their space plane uh, deployed multiple smaller objects. As you know, in my book, Winning Space, I call them space stalkers. Mm-hmm. These are small satellites that can tailgate our important satellites. These smaller uh, space stalkers clamp on with grappling arms to our satellites and then push them from their orbits, rendering our forces on Earth deaf, dumb and blind. Um, they deployed multiple of these systems last week. And now apparently the space plane has been doing some weird things over North America, I believe possibly preparing for an electromagnetic pulse attack on the United States to knock out our electrical grid. 
um, because this is all in anticipation for their inevitable attack on Taiwan. They're going to need to keep us weakened, distracted, and you know, away from our technology so that they have the time and, and, and availability of resources to deploy against Taiwan and invade and conquer there. But they need to keep us back. This is how they're going to do it. Space Pearl Harbor, it is coming. I've been saying it, I know, for two years, but it is, it is right around the corner. Brandon Weikert has been our guest, Winning Space, How America Remains a Superpower, The Shadow War, Iran's Quest for Supremacy, Biohacked, China's Race to Control Life, any number or all of them great Christmas books. Still, if you're needing to do your shopping and want to give the gift of intelligence, Brandon brings us that gift every time he's here, and we appreciate you for it, Brandon. Thank you, sir. Thank you, sir. You betcha. Merry Christmas. I'm Seth Liebson, and we'll be right back. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com. <laughs> 